So today, Kirsten, you'll notice that we don't have quite so much room to spread out. But let me make it clear, I'm not suggesting that either of us are expanding horizontally. <laughs> but we have a pleasure of some company. Welcome, Anwin from Get Fruitful Marketing. Hello. Hello. It's really nice to have you here. So, last time, we ended by asking what's the difference between a promise of value and an employer brand. Yeah, and I've been thinking about that. Okay. And I'm not sure there is a difference. Okay. Well, I think there might be a perception of a difference, is that in an employer brand, an employer branding. Yeah. What would your take on that, Bianwin? Hmm. I would say your brand is really the essence of the experience that you're trying to take to market. So that could be a product or a service or a job. And for me, I would say that the branding is about how you package that up. So I sometimes talk about uh, apples and give that as an example. So you can think about the fact there's lots of different types of apples out there, Coxes, Russets, Braeburn, that sort of thing. And from a distance in the shop, they can all look pretty similar. But as you get closer, you'll start to notice that they each have an individual look. Um, that might be the colour or the shape, and they'll have a different sticker on them that will help you distinguish. And you can apply that to business as well. You can think each business um, has its own unique flavour, its own unique look and feel. And the way that you package that up with branding is things like the logos and colours and typography and sort of visual elements that you put around the way that you're presenting your business in the world. So, yeah, it's it's all of that stuff, really. So you're saying the difference between there's a difference between what I'd call the promise of value and how you present that to the world, as it were. Hmm. Okay. But they should be congruent. Yeah. Have integrity. They need to be in alignment. Yes, most definitely, because I think when they're not, that can be very damaging. So, I mean, a very old example, I remember many years ago, the old Midland Bank used to have a strap line that was the listening bank. Mm. It took ages to get the through them, Griffin, <laughs> through it? to them on the phone. So it, that, you know, how it actually worked didn't live up to the promise. Mm. And I think nowadays, probably an example might be something like Amazon, where, you know, they're very focused on customer service and making it easy to buy and all the rest of it. But for example, I don't buy from Amazon because I don't like the way they appear to treat the people who work for them. And it seems to me those two things have to be have to be congruent. Otherwise, there's a cognitive dissonance that at least I can't cope with, mm. which means I, I don't want to buy. Yeah, and, and for me, consistency and promise of value um, equals consistency in what the company perceives its brand to be and presents to the outside world. And it's vital that the two marry up. Uh, because if a company presents itself, for example, as an amazing employer, and the reality is that it's not delivering on that promise, then the company ultimately won't be successful because eventually it'll lose all its best people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Anwin, let's think about this. So we have a theoretical client, let's call it Pygmy, who've grown exponentially, and the owner, Bobette, is no longer packing parcels personally and hand-delivering to her clients. She's now got 30 staff. The business is mainly online. So she's a very strong, popular social media following. And she's going to double this year in size in terms of staff numbers. So what's, for her, what's the challenge 
in protecting her promise of value brand and branding. Mm. Well, I would imagine that she's probably grown organically Mm. and, you know, the company will have evolved over time. And before she knew it, she suddenly got 30 people. And a lot of the early hires will probably be people that reflect some element of her personality because we tend to hire in our own image for better or worse. So she will have a set of values that will have guided her in the way that she set up and grown the company so far and probably hired people who share her personal passion and the purpose or vision that she's got for the business. The problem will probably start to emerge when she gets to the point where she's not personally hiring um, new staff on. So when she brings in a sort of middle management tier and challenge then is how to make sure that her original founder's passion and purpose doesn't get diluted um, or distracted and diverted in a different direction. So she needs to find a way to document and codify those values Mm. and create a very clear sort of guidelines for the culture that she wants to see in the business. And then those values need to be properly embodied by all of the team members. So There needs to be a set of criteria that people have to measure up against when she's qualifying new recruits. And that should also then filter down into uh, performance management through things like appraisals. So I would say it starts from a point of being really intentional about the company culture that you want to create. And certainly becomes critical when you've got more than, say, a handful or a dozen employees. But it's not just for big businesses. You know, even when you're starting out, you can be thinking about this sort of thing from day one. And I absolutely agree with that. And I've often said to growth clients, it might seem like overkill right now to be putting in place all these processes when you're only 15 people or even less than that. But if you put them in now, they'll protect you. They'll protect your people as you grow, which will make the transition from small company to a medium company and then from medium company to a large company so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, what's interesting about that, it's like all these all these things, you know, we're whether it's software or business processes, if you put the effort in up front, it seems like you're doing overkill, but actually what it does is mean you can go faster later. Mm, Absolutely. And what you don't want is a rogue employee joining the team and maybe damaging your brand. Nor disrupting your team. Oh, no, no, definitely not. I mean, I unfortunately have had experience of that, which makes me shudder every time I think about it because I actually interviewed a person for a company that I was working in and they seemed perfect in the interview and they were wonderful for the probation period and then as soon as they were through the probation period they turned into something completely different and which wasn't just hard to manage on an individual basis because one of the things that appeared was they didn't want to work and they didn't want anybody else to work either because that would hide the fact that they were so bad. And that that was a really terrible experience that I don't want to do again. Now, I find there's there's two types of disruptive people. So there's someone like that Mm. who's almost like... Um, sort of undercover disruptive, if you like. You don't realise you've got a problem until it's actually too late and and everything's already been disrupted. And then you get the superstars. Yeah. So people who come in with an amazing sales track record, for example. But the trouble is, these superstars tend to leave a trail of destruction behind them and that destabilises the team. Yeah. And actually, that's a really interesting example because I remember hearing years ago, anthropology, which is a 
a retail company. Mm. They don't do advertising. They just create the kind of experience in their shop that you want to go into if you like them. Mm. It's kind of like if you're into what they do, you cannot resist it. You are sucked into that shop. Mm. And if you're not, you're not. You just walk past. But I also heard that they are willing to sack people who might look like really good salespeople. So the story I heard was that part of their promise of value is we will make sure that you leave our shop wearing something that really makes you look good. Mm. And they were they found somebody working in one of the shops who was doing really well and selling lots of stuff. And in the end, they sacked them because what they were doing was persuading people to buy things that didn't really suit them. So those people weren't happy. They came back and returned them. And so they were really, really careful to make sure everything they did lived up to their promise of value, which I think is pretty good, actually, and unusual. Absolutely. I think that's a great example. And what I'm really interested to hear about that is it's to do with a trade-off or so balancing between the long-term and the short-term aims of the company and between purpose and profit. Yeah. And I think... Um, Companies need to be really clear from the outset about what they want to be contributing and creating in the long and the short term. So they need to be clear on what kind of customers they want to be attracting and what kind of team they want to be growing and the kind of value that they're creating for those people. And people shouldn't be afraid to filter out people who don't quite match up to the ideal customer or the ideal team member. And that might feel a bit uncomfortable because you're going to be turning people away sometimes if they're not a good match. And I guess that takes a certain amount of courage and faith that if you turn somebody away today, the right person will come along tomorrow. Um, But I think people need to set their standards high and maintain integrity with their vision uh, to attract their ideal outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think so. Really, what you're saying is if you are in it for the long term, playing an infinite game, if you like, you need to think about your values early on and how you're helping your people and your customers to fulfill their values and that's what makes the whole thing sustainable. You've actually got everybody working together on the same thing. Yeah, and I, and I think in order to do that, we need to explore that, Kirsten. Yeah. And I think we need to do that in a dedicated episode on values. Um, and I think we should invite Anwen to join us again for that one. Oh, yeah, that'd be brilliant. Discussion. Thank you. Thank you.